We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor of what you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. There's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Flavor Solutions. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. It's a trope in literature and movies, the young apprentice at the feet of their master learning a technique that seems almost impossible. The crane kick in The Karate Kid, Expecto Patronum from Harry Potter, or Van Gogh's line and color technique were all taught by or learned from a master in the craft. In today's episode, we are going to be taught by two masters on how to use our senses, intuition, and experience to find up-and-coming flavors. Joining me once again are Senior Marketing Manager Lisa Demi and Product Manager Carrie Rock to lead us on this journey of discovery. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the podcast. Hey there, Corey. Hi, Corey. This week, we are going to be talking about, I should say this month, rather, we are going to be talking about how to see food trends. Let's begin how we always do. Let's introduce ourselves and go ahead and tell us who you are, what you do at McCormick, and what brings you here today. So, Carrie, please start for us. Hi, everyone. My name is Carrie Rock, and I'm a product manager, and I really get the opportunity to work in trends and insights every day. Specifically, I really get the opportunity to dig into macro trends and consumer insights and play around with all of the fun foods and flavors that are coming to our consumers. Um, I specialize in our flavor forecast as well, which is our thought leadership tool that's really looking to forecast the future of flavor. So really have to have my finger on the pulse of what's happening with consumers. Very well. All right, Lisa, go right ahead. Okay. I am in marketing here at MC Fona, and I lead the exploration of flavor design for both sweet and savory flavors. Let's talk about why we're here today. So I started the opening with how to see food trends. Now, is this, what is this? Is this something I need to put my rose-colored glasses on or my, you know, x-ray vision specs or what? How do we see food trends? And more importantly, let's talk about what food trends are. Absolutely not. The wonderful thing about food trends is that you're probably experiencing them all day, every day, whenever you are eating, drinking, experiencing foods, or even passing through a grocery store or walking around your local farmer's market. It just takes a conscious effort to really look around at your current environment to really experience and see food trends in a way that maybe you haven't before. Now, is the goal to do this before everybody else or kind of just see them as they come? I would say that we rarely are going to predict things before everyone else. That's uh, one of the wonderful things about food trends is that it's really a collaborative space. And it's something that we are really excited about seeing what, you know, restaurants are doing because we see trends start in restaurant and then move to retail. And so I personally don't usually look for trends that I'm the very first one to discover because they're probably not going to be very mainstream. I really want to see what other people are doing first and then see how we can do small tweaks or adjustments to them to make them you know, relevant for whatever industry or product that I'm in particular predicting food trends for. And I love collaborating with Lisa. I mean, working with other marketers or even our product developers is so important when talking about trends. 
Just to jump on something that Carrie's talking about, uh, we often, as marketers, take tour of our re- local retail locations as a team, and it takes us hours and hours to get through the aisles of the grocery store because we see so much inspiration across all aspects of our, our food and beverage development needs. Remind me to never go shopping with either of you. That is to say, <laughs> no, just kidding. So when you guys are going down the aisle, like, what does it take to see these trends? I mean, are you just, is, is it just time and skill or is it, you know, just being observant? Well, I think what's something that's extremely interesting is that, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, when we were talking food trends, someone would probably say, look at the biggest players on the aisle, look for um, the really large companies and then follow their lead. But we're really seeing a shift away from that to seeing a lot of food trends coming up and in, in interesting foods and flavors and all sorts of brands, whether it's private label or large companies. And so when you're going down the aisle, I think it's important to not only just look at that middle shelf, but also look up, look down, look at beyond your eye level, because that's where you're going to find some of the most interesting and up and coming products is from those startup companies that maybe don't have the budget to purchase slotting fees for the right at eye level areas, but have really interesting flavors that will probably make it to those particular spots in, you know, six months a year. And I'm getting us started on a discussion about retail stores, whether you're talking about the natural channel, you're talking about your big box stores, you're talking about your grocery stores, your um, dollar stores even. In fact, the other day I was at the hardware store and there's a whole two aisles of food foodstuffs as you as you walk through. So every consumer shops in some way, shape or form. So it's the easiest play to spot uh, food trends. But there's so many other things and other areas that we see really from a trends perspective. The trends are emerging and they're colliding. We see sweet and savory colliding. We see takes on familiars morphing and changing in the format of what you're eating, but also in the format of the flavor that uh, you're experiencing. And I definitely don't want to discount retail in any capacity. We definitely see a lot of wonderful trends coming out of the retail space and being able to look at other retail products. But some of my personal favorite places to look for food trends are actually outside of the retail space. I am a huge fan of food festivals. Uh, You can find me at food festivals constantly. I mean, and I'm not the only one. We actually did a McCormick survey and we surveyed millennials and Gen X. And we found that over 50% of millennials and Gen X have been to at least three to five food festivals in the past year. And we see these all over the place. We see all different types of food festivals. Specifically, one that I'd love to chat about is strawberry festivals, as that is probably the biggest trend in food festivals right now. So why is that? Why is strawberry so big right now? I mean, I know in the Midwest here in Geneva, Illinois, I see Peach Fest, Pumpkin Fest. You know, anytime there's a new produce or the season of produce comes along, it's a fest. So what is it that strawberry has that these maybe don't or aren't putting them forefront? Well, one of the one of the aspects of strawberry festivals comes from the parts of the country that are noted for their strawberry production. So the state of Florida actually uh, has one of the longest running and oldest strawberry festivals in existence going back to the 1930s. And it was really a way to celebrate something that was indigenous in a crop of of, of the state. But 
take all of the time between 1930 and today, and you can imagine that the number of pairings, the number of executions of strawberry were pretty numerous and pretty prolific. It's a pretty prolific one. And strawberry is one of those flavors from a fruit flavor, and it's often noted as number one in our in our rankings. And I think that it's really interesting to talk about strawberry festivals beyond just the classic strawberries with cream. That's really not what we're talking about here. We're talking about really looking at the options that are available there that take a profile like strawberry and dig deep. I mean, really say, what what can we pair with strawberry in the weirdest, funkiest, fresh ways that ends up tasting so fun and interesting and ends up moving into retail? It's things like a strawberry key lime funnel cake. Uh, that was a particular example that we saw at the Florida Strawberry Festival. And I love the idea of taking like that tart key lime profile and elevating the strawberry with it. Or at the Lakeland Orchard and Cidery Strawberry Festival, we saw a new take on the classic apple cider donut by making it with strawberry. And so they added strawberry bits and rolled it in a sweet sugar that really helped to, you know, give new life to that classic apple cider donut. And it's really looking at these different strawberry festivals and taking those, you know, more unique products and imagining how you could twist and change them to fit into other products in terms of flavor. And showing where sweet and savory collide. Um, Another strawberry festival, and I'm not going to recall exactly which one this came from, strawberry brisket taking the savory elements of a, of a brisket and lathering it with, with strawberry and, uh, and sweet, a sweet element to it. I do remember that one. That one was also from the Florida Strawberry Festival. They even had some nice uh, queso uh, fresco on there along with the brisket. And that strawberry slaw, uh, I love the idea of that sweetness really playing in with the saltiness of the queso fresco. I'm hearing a lot of innovation on older techniques. So when you first mentioned, Carrie, you know, we're not doing the the sponge cake with, you know, whipped cream and strawberries, but then you went on and said, you know, here's a funnel cake with a key lime strawberry twist. I, I mean, that's that's a, a great idea of sit, taking something simple and just adding just that little little turn just to make it that much more enticing. And I think, and you guys can you guys can maybe comment on this, a lot of people are going to these festivals, fairs and whatnot for this kind of flavor adventure or experience. It's kind of like, you know, did you go to the Minnesota State Fair and try this outrageous thing? That seems to be one of the one of the trends that we're we're seeing right now. Would you agree? Absolutely. And taking it back beyond food fairs, but into festivals, we have one of the largest and most renowned one of all, and that's the Epcot Food Festival. And Epcot is known as a travel destination for families, so it has to appeal to all ages. It's an international destination, so you get the the play of various different ethnicities visiting and trying different foods. And that festival started as a one-month festival. It's now five months out of the year with special offerings throughout those five months. But what they do is so beautifully is they take something that is familiar from a base perspective. It could be a grilled cheese or an ice cream sundae. And they take it over the top with their with their innovation from a flavor perspective, from a mashup perspective, and from an experience perspective. I personally love that we're talking about the Epcot Food and Wine Festival because I think it really goes to show how important it is to have food and flavors that are really pushing the envelope as a part of these food festivals. I mean, when it comes to the 
Epcot Food and Wine Festival, I mean, it's an amusement park. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that Disney has employed, you know, all of these chefs to create these really interesting and fun profiles because it gets people in the door and it gets people excited and they actually really want to to play around with these fun flavors and it, it draws them to actually attend. I know when I look at the the last couple of years of the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, I've saw I've seen some really interesting profiles come out of that. Specifically during Hispanic Heritage Month this past year, they actually brought out some special offerings within uh, the Epcot Food and Wine Festival special offerings with churros, but they gave you different dipping sauces. And I think that really goes back to your point, Corey, of really just giving you a new twist or spin on something. For example, the churros had a chili and strawberry dipping sauce that you could use. And I, I love, again, the use of strawberry. We're seeing that absolutely everywhere. But even adding in the chili and pairing that so authentically with a churro really worked. Another one was they had a, a coffee type uh, anglaise that really allowed you to have kind of a coffee churro type profile. You could even pair that with like coffee, chocolate churro, all sorts of combinations there that you can play with to take that very trendy profile of a churro to a new level. So Carrie, you know, something that in describing the churro with the dipping sauces that's coming to mind as well, in addition to flavor, in addition to the format of sweet, a sweet good, you've got the element of crunch from the sugar on it. You have the element of heat, a sensorial. So there's they're taking something and making it a multi-layered experience for the consumer. So they're they're feeling a little bit of heat. They're feeling the creaminess and, and the cooling of that anglaise dipping sauce. They're getting the crunch of the sugar. So there's so many elements we can eat with our eyes, but it's not the only thing we, we, we definitely uh, experience the sensations and the flavors in many, many different ways. You know, and this is nothing new for Epcot either. I mean, it's not... A thing anymore to hear people say, "Oh, I want to go, you know, have food around the world because of the uh, the showcase, the world showcase towards the back of the park." I even think that they should, you know, maybe change the name at certain points in time of the year. So we all know Epcot stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. So maybe we should add an extra C and make it the Experimental Prototype Culinary Community of Tomorrow kind of thing. I think that would be a, a fun thing to do. But let's talk about a little bit about where we've been when it comes to the, the flavor trends. I know we need to understand where we've been to know where we're going. So we've talked a little bit about where we're going. What are some of the trends that have kind of faded away or that maybe are in kind of the background of seeing a flavor trend these days? Well, what's old again is new again. We know we know that we've seen it over and over repeat. And COVID actually, from a consumer perspective, consumers sought comfort and it really brought back nostalgic plays. And there's whole segments like the cereal segment got a resurgence during during COVID with people being at home and you know going back to breakfast, but not even just going back to breakfast, maybe going back to that favorite cereal that they grew up as a kid. So take that cereal item or those flavor profiles that you find in cereal. And we have all sorts of dessert mashups that we're seeing that incorporate those cereals as an ingredient in in the final and and part of the flavor play is it's cereal milk it's you know it's pebbles as one that's uh, you know a favorite amongst many young kids so it's fruity pebbles so it's it's a flavor play it's a nostalgic play it's a segment play and we're seeing it continue on long past COVID and I gotta say I saw a resurgence of an actual store 
called Serial Killers, which was basically a play on words because you could go and get, you know, multiple brands of cereal in the same bowl and you could just keep refilling. And I, I will tell you, every time I will run for the Captain Crunch, I don't care about the physical problems that may ensue as far as scraping my mouth or whatnot. I I was a big fan of Captain Crunch. I always will be. But what what else has kind of faded away? I'm I'm I know we talked yesterday a little bit about food trucks. Where what's their role in all of this these days? Food trucks are an interesting one because food trucks allow a really unique ability to innovate. And we've actually seen, you know, food trucks continuing to be a really strong presence in the market after COVID. Um, We saw actually during COVID food trucks selling out. People couldn't even buy food trucks because they couldn't manufacture them fast enough for people. And so everybody has a food truck now, it seems, because during COVID, um, a lot of people had to buy them. And while this trend has really evolved in a lot of different ways, we really over the past year have kept an eye on the ghost kitchen market because it really pairs well with the idea of food trucks because food trucks are so uniquely set for innovation because of the small space. They really have to rely on sauces because they probably can only afford to fit one or two or maybe three bases, like a, a burger and maybe a turkey burger because they can't fit a burger, a turkey burger, chicken sandwich, chicken tenders, all of that in that small space. And when we were tracking food trucks, we've continued to see that have a a pretty healthy lifespan. But within ghost kitchens, we've started to see a little bit of decline there just as, you know, people are starting to go back out and actually want to eat in the restaurant rather than ordering quite as much takeout. I think I can gather from outside facts here, but Carrie, explain to me what a ghost kitchen is or was. So a ghost kitchen is really interesting in that it is a virtual dining only concept. Normally, when you order takeout, you can envision in your head, okay, I'm ordering from this restaurant and I know where it is. It's on the corner of XYZ Street. And if you wanted to, you could actually physically go there and pick up your food or you could have someone bring it to you. With a ghost kitchen, that's not the case. You cannot have, you cannot actually go there and pick up your food because The location of that restaurant isn't known necessarily to the public because it's probably multiple different restaurants in one building operating out of a probably food truck size space and using a smaller menu in order to actually produce that food. And again, it kind of falls into that same idea of food trucks and that it can be very innovative because they do have the smaller space and can swap out items a little bit faster, especially since they usually rely more on sauces. And when we're talking about all of these different places that have all of these different fun sauces, I do really mean more than just barbecue sauce. Yes, you're going to see things like barbecue sauce, mayonnaise, ketchup, mustard, all the classics, but a lot of food trucks actually really rely on pushing the boundaries when it comes to sauce in order to provide a lot of very fun flavor. Uh, My favorite food truck in Baltimore is actually called the Royal Sauce Food Truck. And they have an entire menu just made out of sauces. And they have so many really fun ones that I always enjoy trying whenever I get to find the food truck. And I think that's part of the fun of actually looking for and finding these food trucks. I love their orange ginger. They have a bourbon. They have like a Oh, they have a chipotle blackberry that's really delicious. I was actually going to ask you if you had any favorites going there. I can tell you that both doors on my refrigerator are dedicated to sauces and condiments that I put on my food, so much so that the doors outweigh the rest of the refrigerator almost. I have peach barbecue sauce. I've got 
Thai chicken, sesame chicken, and those are those are base almost basic these days. Can you guys tell me, like, are these flavor trends that we're seeing too? Are they're affected by season? I, I would assume. I mean, we've talked about a little bit about the food festivals and whatnot. So those food festivals, do those coincide with season? Do food trends coincide with season too? Well, going back to the retailers, you probably have your favorites and many of them are noted for their seasonal offerings. And so definitely there's a play there. One of the things that is interesting from a retail perspective, and Carrie touched on it, that private label products used to be the Me Too. They would look at the leaders who in the previous season or previous months sold the most of a particular item and would mimic that flavor, that item. Now they're the, they're the innovators. They're, they're really out front and really pushing the boundaries. And that you see that both in club stores as well as traditional retail grocery. I definitely feel that strongly. I'm a big shopper at Aldi. And a lot of times I will go there one month and find something that is, you know, just out of this world, right down my, you know, right down my alley. And then I'll go the next month and it's gone. There was a, a habanero flavor that was there recently. And I, you know, bought like two, three bottles of it, just knowing that this probably wasn't going to continue. And luckily it, it has not. And I have a backup, which, you know, as a consumer, I'm like, yeah, but I know I'm going to run out, which makes me sad too. Well, there's always next season. And hopefully if you put your dollars behind that choice, so did a lot of other people and it will come back. And we see that brands are starting the season earlier and earlier. Of course, pumpkin spice is starting in August is is the classic, but we see that in many other instances. So the consumer has FOMO if you're missing out. You know, they're out there early and they're buying in bulk because just like you said, you're afraid afraid it's gonna disappear before the season ends. And I think as we talk about how to actually see and predict these food trends, it's really interesting to to talk about seasonality because that is such a key way to predict what is going to be popular next year is to look at what was popular last year during that same season, but especially to look specifically at what was popular last season in terms of what flavors were actually, you know, top of shelf and then also what was actually in season in terms of produce. And we see a ton of things that are in season being the flavor profiles that consumers actually want to consume during that season. In the fall, consumers want apple because it's in season during the fall. Same with pumpkin. That's part of why we see pumpkin spice being so popular. Uh, One of the food trends that I personally have been able to predict by monitoring and looking at this is the rise of apple spice. Uh, Everybody always asks, what's the next pumpkin spice? Like, are we almost done with that? That's been around for so long. And of course, pumpkin spice is absolutely positively not going anywhere. But we are starting to see the rise of apple spice as almost a competing or a popular flavor in that season that can play with and and rival pumpkin. Even when we did a a survey this year on seasonal profiles, Apple actually topped pumpkin this year for the first time in terms of what consumers were looking for on the shelf. And if you are curious what's the difference between pumpkin and apple spice, which I know I was when I first heard about this, usually pumpkin spice means that it is covering the spices that are typically found in a pumpkin pie, that nutmeg, that cinnamon, those warm brown spices, but it doesn't have any notes of actual pumpkin. Think about your pumpkin spice latte. You're not getting that sweet pumpkin-y profile most of the time. Now with an apple spice, it's using that same warm blend of brown spices, but it has a nice fresh apple flavor added to it. So it's really that next step in that profile is to add in 
that like Granny Smith or Honeycrisp type apple profile to those warm spices to really just create something that's um, really interesting and fun. And we even saw this pumpkin spice latte turn apple last year and this year at Starbucks with the apple macchiato. I want to say what he's called uh, that I know I personally had a couple of times. I am not a pumpkin spice fan. I do not do the lattes. I don't go for that stuff. But apple, 100%. Are we thinking that the apple spice is going to be like uh, like an apple pie kind of thing? Apple pie spice is definitely a thing, and you could definitely call it that. Uh, we have seen a lot of different names for even pumpkin spice and apple spice, and a lot of it comes down to just marketing in terms of what you want to call it. I think that I personally would call it just apple spice so that it is the most similar to the classic pumpkin spice because we typically see the word pie get dropped off over time. If you think back to the history of pumpkin pie spice, actually, crazily enough, that pumpkin spice originated out of McCormick. McCormick sold a pumpkin pie spice for the first time by mixing together, again, all those warming spices, the cinnamons, the nutmegs into one bottle and then sold it as a pumpkin pie spice. And it was supposed to be the pumpkin pie spice that you would add to your pumpkin pie. And then that eventually turned into just pumpkin spice because the pie got dropped off. So we definitely could see apple pie spice becoming, you know, that first term that's used. But if pumpkin spice has any indicator, we would probably see the word pie get dropped off just as, you know, consumers ultimately are going to, we like shorthands. I'll just say it that way. Now, we've talked about a lot of seasonality. We've talked about food festivals, but I think we're missing one of the major players in this game, and that's social media, of course. So let's go ahead and dive into social media. How is that affecting, how is that involved in food trends? So social media is really changing the way we engage with food in quite a few ways. Marketing professionals across the globe have taken notice of it. TikTok has become a huge, huge platform for marketing campaigns. And just isolating those TikTok users, 40% said that they have ordered from a restaurant that they spotted first on, on TikTok. So number one, it's kind of queuing people that are looking for an experience, an out-of-home dining, dining experience. We can also go to the viral videos that have gone out there. I remember during COVID making mini pancakes with my niece at home after watching that one and tell me a, about a pain and then dousing them with milk and doing pancake cereal. Another great one is a good example of kind of highlighting how retail grocers are paying attention to TikTok. And that was the feta uh, pasta video that went viral. The ingredients that went into that increased by 106% in the short window following that launch of that video. I think it's also really interesting with social media because social media is very tied to demographics in terms of if you know what demographic you want to target for your product and you're looking to figure out what type of food trends are in the market so you can figure out what flavor to actually apply to your product, start with social media because we know TikTok, that's going to lean younger. That's more Gen Z. That's even um, coming into to Gen A here. That's typically the demographic that's most mostly on TikTok. Not to say that other demographics are not on that particular platform, when it comes to age-related demographics, but we do see more Gen Z on that platform. So if you're targeting Gen Z, that's a great place to look for food trends. If you're targeting more of uh, women, 
maybe go to Pinterest, as Pinterest does typically lean towards uh, a little bit older and a little bit more women than men. And so really knowing the different demographics of the different social media channels and then knowing the demographic that you're targeting for your product can really narrow down the types of flavor profiles that you can explore exponentially in, in terms of making sure that you're finding something that would be relevant for your brand. You also have Instagram, which is that instant visual that uh, catches your attention and things. I remember when we first saw Ube, which we've been talking a lot about Ube the last year and year and a half because Ube has been everywhere. You know, that violet purple, purple color that transcends and found in some very unusual food and beverage products. Pink sauce, another example coming from dragon fruit or prickly pear. So it's the coloring, it's the visual, and people love having uh, that you know, posted on their on their Instagram account. I know one of my personal favorite uh, social media trends I've been seeing recently has been all about birria. Uh, I don't know if most of you are familiar with what birria is, but it's typically a, a lamb or, or beef shredded taco that's then dunked in a consomme sauce. It's very heavy and like cilantro and overall, oh my gosh, so delicious. I could eat those all day long. But what we're seeing on social media is actually the evolution of birria into other types of applications. We're seeing birria pizzas. Birria ramen is a really big trend right now, as well as birria egg rolls. And that's really important to know when you look at social media, because we see, you know, when you think of birria tacos, great, it's in a taco, but maybe as a developer or marketer, you don't sell tacos. (laughs) So what are you supposed to do with birria? But by looking on social media in terms of what consumers are doing with it, you can see different options for how that could evolve into something that is relevant for your products. If you're a frozen food brand, you could so easily take the idea of birria and apply it to an egg roll. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some birria egg rolls in the frozen food aisle in the next year or two. All these things you mentioned have targeted me. All of them have hit me at one point. I mean, birria, I've found, I've done several different ways, whether it was crock pot, oven, whatever, just to try and get it done. Um, because, you know, it can be time consuming. It can be, you know, labor intensive, but it doesn't have to be. So I've tried it both ways. And absolutely, I would love to see it, you know, in, in, a, in a quicker form. An, an egg roll would be great. You know, I've had a birria grilled cheese sandwich right here in downtown Geneva. Absolutely. All those things fantastic. And to social media's credit, not only do they hit you once on the platform, so say it's on the feed, but then they also link you to other, you know, social medias like Reels or even, you know, going over to TikTok so that you can see, you know, how somebody else does this. So you can get more into these flavor trends and figure out, you know, does this work for me? Especially with somebody like myself, I need a visual. So, you know, seeing it on somebody's feed, great. But if I can see how you did it, I'm going to like it even more from, you know, just a simple consumer's perspective. All right. Anything else that you want to touch on before we get into our key takeaways that we may not have talked enough about? Uh, Stop making me hungry, Corey. Word? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I I just got back from Panda Express and they have a a, an apple uh, an apple egg roll. I saw Taco Bell this week actually launched milkshakes. I don't know if it was this week or happened last week, but um, they now have churro flavored milkshakes at Taco Bell. Oh my, I I am a huge Taco Bell proponent, literally at least once a week, which is probably terrible, I know, but I, you know, that's, it's, it's my jam. All right, great. So this has been wonderful. Let's kind of wrap this up and bring it on home as we always do and talk about our key takeaways. Give me one, two, three things that we can leave our listeners with. 
Remember that food festivals are a great place to find the familiar items that have mass appeal, that have been turned into something innovative, fresh, and new, and often taking sweet and savory and pairing them together. I would also just say food trends are all around you. Don't be afraid to, you know, stop when you're in the grocery store and actually do a nice turnaround and and try to see something that maybe you would have passed by. Go down an aisle you don't usually go down. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need really crazy, intense data software in order to see trends in the marketplace. Go on social media, attend a local food festival. I guarantee you, if you open Google right now and type in strawberry festival near me, there's one within an hour of you that happens at some point this year. And so there's really so much that you can do to explore food trends, even beyond, you know, just looking on the internet. Thank you very much, you guys. Great takeaways, good reminders. Can't wait to go to my next food festival. I'm going to hope it's the Epcot Food and Wine Festival because, you know, Disney. But absolutely, I, I'm going to keep my my eyes open for those. So let's go ahead and end this how I always end this, which is with a few surprise questions, basically from our conversation now, kind of off topic, kind of not, but you guys can answer as best you can. I've got three of them. We will. We can do all three. We can do just two, one, whatever you're comfortable with. But why don't we start with the last time you went to Epcot and your favorite ride there? Oh, gosh, Corey, I've been twice in the past two years, so... <laughs> Definitely Cosmic Rewind. That was my absolute favorite ride. And each time that I went, I actually went to the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival. And I had absolutely excellent treats each time I went. But I will say the standout for me last time was a Ghost Bloody Mary, where they used tomato water instead of tomato juice. And so it was clear. It was fascinating. It tasted exactly like a Bloody Mary, except it was 100% transparent. Looked like water. Can't top that. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't think I can either because I haven't been to Epcot since I was in college. Cosmic Rewind was not there yet. So I think my favorite ride was probably Spaceship Earth at the time just because it was air conditioned and it was hot. But next question, moving on, let's talk about a trend that you couldn't get on board with. Was there anything out there that you were like, this has got a lot of hype, deservedly so, but it's not for me? For me, it was butterboards. It was interesting for a New York second, the compound butters aspect I do find appealing, but putting multiple compound butters on a board and and putting some crackers out for an hors d'oeuvre or an uh, appetizer, it's not my thing. Strong disagree. This is this is where Carrie and I put on the boxing gloves. <laughs> I think the idea of butterboards is so much fun just in terms of all the fun toppings that you can put on those. But I don't know if there's actually a trend that I wouldn't try or can remember trying in the past year or so that I just really hated and, and wouldn't try again if somebody presented it in front of me. So I'm going to say Lisa definitely wins this one. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the mint mojito trend that was a, a while ago, I think. Oh, that was definitely one I was never going to get on board with. I, I do not do well with mint. Cheese tea. I cheese can't get on board tea? with the cheese tea. I'm sorry. I tried, but the cheese tea was not my thing. I mean, what's the difference between cheese tea and like a soup, I guess? But hey, I'm in. I, I, I would give it a shot. I'm, I'm a big fan of dairy. All right. Last question. How about let's let's talk about restaurants, like restaurants that you've seen, you know, get blown up because they're, they've offered a new flavor trend of some sort that you got there and it was either, you know, lived up to your expectations and then some or just didn't. 
I know the restaurant. I don't remember the name of the restaurant. It was cowfish or fish cow or something along those lines. And it was essentially a fusion restaurant between sushi and hamburgers. And so they had um, their their item on the menu that was real standout was burgushi, where it was burger sushi. And it was, you know, all the ingredients you would have in a burger, but wrapped up in to the form of sushi. And instead of rice, it was like fried potato that was in the shape of like you would have for rice. And they even had like a steak style of that. And I was very impressed. I really, really, truly enjoyed it. And um, I was I went to that restaurant with my sister and we loved it so much. We went back the next day to, to eat there again. As far as I'm concerned, I've got a couple, but the one that always sticks out in my mind is I think it's called the Chicago Pizza Company. It was one of the first places that my wife and I went together when I I came out here um, because they had a pot pie pizza. I love Um, that place. I love that dish. (laughs) Do you not like it? No, no. I mean, the dish is great. It was the experience that got me because they don't keep take reservations and they don't have a waiting list. The guy just remembers who came next, which didn't work out in our favor because we were there for three hours. So that was the one that kind of was blown up on on social media and the food was good, but the experience just kind of killed it for us. You know what? And I know the exact experience you had and I can feel for you. The name of the restaurant was Cowfish. Cowfish. I would try. I I mean, you know, there's I think there's one around here that's like sushi burger or something like that. And I, I believe that they have something close to that. Uh, but regardless, there's good, there's bad, you know, with any kind of social with any kind of social media proponents and with any kind of trend i'm sure but for this time i think that's all the time we've got so that's it for flavor university podcast i'm Corey Doucette, and i would like to thank our special guests lisa demi and carrie rock for joining us today thanks for listening and until next time the flavor of mccormick is the flavor of life so go out and taste it 